Hello. It's wonderful to be here with you all tonight. Um, I'm really honored and humbled, and it's so good to be talking about hospitality after the COVID shutdown. So I just want to tell you a little bit about how the Lord has used hospitality in my life and how our home became an organic gathering place that um, really launched this daily hospitality thing that my husband and I do, which I know sounds crazy. Um, but, but five and a half years ago, I was sitting at this desk uh, in the same position, really, with the same Bible open in front of me. And it was about five o'clock in the morning because that's my happy time because only the cat's up and he, if I open a can of cat food, you know, I can ignore him. Um, I was here at my desk reading my Bible and something extraordinarily disastrous. And I realized that the, there was a drug bust basically across the street, like literally I'm facing it. I can see it from this window. And very quickly, our neighbor became the person who is the easiest to hate in the world. And at the same time, my neighbors wanted to know why in the world we were friends with him. And that was the time when Kent and I realized that if you are going to bridge the gap, if you are going to reach out to the stranger, if you are going to stand with the drug addicts and the people who are hated and everything else, you will lose your reputation. And it was an interesting thing because our neighbors trusted enough, trusted us enough to want to talk to us about why we were still hanging in there with our neighbor. And of course, you know, drugs makes slaves of men at the time. So the fact that it happened across the street doesn't make it any more interesting, except for that it was our problem. Um, that day was a really busy day. Our, our house was open all day long. It was like the strangest open house you could ever imagine. Um, we had the police, the EA, our, our neighbor's aged mother we took in his 100-pound pit bull. That's a story. Um, neighbor kids, neighbors. By the end of the day, Kent and I looked at each other and said, did you see this coming? How did, how did we miss a meth map across the street? What's, what is going on? Um, but it became really clear that that day we had presented the gospel to more neighbors, uh, whether we liked it or not. We ran out of coffee. We had this nonstop open house. And we realized that the Lord was creating a momentum for gospel witness in the context of a crisis. And furthermore, we had our name to witness to who is now in prison, but that's 
there's a lot of prison ministry, right? There's a lot of opportunity for the gospel to reach a person there. In fact, the gospel reaches you everywhere. Um, it was a bit of a throwback for me, that, that launch of daily ordinary hospitality, because that, that is how the Lord drew me to himself. Twenty-some years ago, I was a lesbian activist professor at Syracuse, and I had started to run a book, um, basically on the religious right. I was kind of curious why some white people like you hated people like me. It was just a question. Um, and I started to write this book, and I wrote a little editorial in a newspaper that got me in a bunch of trouble, but it introduced me to a pastor, Pastor Ken Smith, and his dear wife, Floyd. They were my neighbors, and they just wouldn't let go. Uh, I mean, they weren't pets, they weren't stalkers, but once they realized how lost I was, they just didn't let go. And their house was the model for me of what Christian hospitality is. Because it seemed like every night of the week, somebody would through that door. And once a week, that somebody was me. And I wasn't the only one bringing in, you know, tracking in dirt and chaos and sin and questions. And um, I remember one in particular, uh, every every the Smith's house, you would have a lovely meal, but not a fussy meal. Uh, you know, rice and beans and salad. And uh, every night, Ken would open the Bible, just as my husband Kent does, you know, and, and during our evenings. And then after the Bible, everyone would open this, this thing called the Psalter, and we would sing a, um, a section. And I, I remember one night... We were singing from Psalm 23, and all of a sudden, I realized the the line about um, the the powerful line about you will be there in the presence of your enemies, right? And the Lord is there in the presence uh, of your enemies, and the Lord's cup is there in the presence of your enemies. And and I part of me was trying to sort of work up a sense of victimhood, like, oh, poor me, I'm here in the presence of my enemies. And all of a sudden, it struck me that I was the enemy at the table, and these people were me. And that was a striking moment. And that was the moment that I really needed and wanted to know Jesus. Uh, not because I stopped feeling like a lesbian at that moment, because I was upset with my girlfriend or anything. It had nothing to do with being a lesbian. It had to do with who am I before God? And I don't know. I probably had 500 meals at Ken and Floyd Smith's house before I came to Christ. So I realized that Christian hospitality is a steady effort. And we have been really blessed to be able to be the hand of the stranger 
into the hand of the shepherd at our dinner table. One of the key things that Christian hospitality contributes to this very divided world is it is a lot easier to have strong words with people if you have strong relationships. And so this idea that, you know, silence equals violence, you, you, if you don't already agree on the five points on the people's creed sign that's outside, uh, you know, people's lawns, you can't be friends. Well, we've just proven that's not true. That, that neighbors come together for things bigger than their politics. And image bearers of a holy God have a high investment in knowing who it is made you, takes care of you. So um, I'm looking at my time, and I might be running out of time, but I want to say one more thing. And so until somebody cuts me off, uh, I will. So when I met Kenneth Boy Smith, I was not just a lesbian professor, but I was also an activist. And this was in the 90s in New York when the, uh, you know, another pandemic was, was raging pretty widely. And that was the, what was then called GRID, which was gay-related uh, infectious disease, I think. Um, uh, and of course, now HIV. And in our gay community in New York, everybody's home was open one night of the week or something. So my partner and I opened our home on Thursday night, and it was just for a meal, check in with people, find out who got a scary diagnosis, um, a, a, a season of time to stand between you and depression, all of that kind of stuff. And once I met Ken and Floyd, at first I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. These, these Christians do the same thing that we gay people do. Look at that. You know, how interesting. They have people in their house too. But I started to realize a palpable difference. And that was that at Ken and Floyd's house, and now by God's grace at our house, we talk about hard things. We face hard things. We're scared. And then we open the and we sing a song, and we pray, and we leave everything to the throne of grace. And that was not something that I could do or could even imagine doing in my gig. And so I took that because the whole point of hospitality is not to show off that your dishes match or your kids um, are decent or whatever that means. Um, but, but to realize that our neighbors need to be Jesus. Um, the Jesus of the Bible. And the Jesus, the Redeemer. The Jesus who took our condemnation and the stripes and the, the beatings that should have been ours. And instead, gave us comfort and blessing. The Jesus who took false accusations and betrayal, slander, so that we could have a good name. The Jesus who took the wrath of God, so that we could stand in the road 
of righteousness, the Jesus who provides our justification, the Jesus who took the trail from France so that we could have belonging in the family of God. And so it is for that Jesus and it is for the holy name of that Jesus and for the comfort of our lost neighbors and family members that, that we do this. And sometimes people say when I say these things, what about the children? You know, I should have had a V8. What about the children? How, how can you do this with the children? You know, our children, our youngest children are now teenagers, but they have lived in a home where they've seen their parents, sometimes daily, begging neighbors, friends, and family to their faith in Jesus. When Kenton got married, we were the only neighbors in our family. And that was lonely. And God knew that was lonely. And so he, he blessed us, blessed us with the ability to actually see people we love in Christ. So it's messy. It's not because we're cleaned up. It's not because our house is always clean. Certainly the day that our house became a crisis station with a meth lab across the street, our house wasn't clean. Uh, you know, nothing was ready. Except for the Lord knew that that was the day that he was going to launch us into a new kind of ministry. And so I can't think of a more important, and I want to say easy, really easy, really straightforward, easy way that as women, we can share the good news of the gospel with our neighbors. All right, I'm going to close at that point and open two questions. Sisters, if it's your first time listening to She Is Becoming, welcome to the show. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's word together, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our mind. I am your co-host, Selene. I am here in the studio with my co-host, Bev, as always. And this is our first ever live recording. It's kind of weird, I gotta say. It's to have a response. That's very strange. Live listeners, we picture you, but now we can actually see you. So it's really a fun experience for us and such a privilege to be here with Rosaria and to ask her some questions you might have. Absolutely. Thank you, Rosaria, for sharing. I think there's so many things about what you said that really struck me, but I just loved how you talked about how, I think it's Ken and Floyd, right? They brought you into their home. They loved you. They didn't necessarily try and fix you, but they read the word with you and they were just so faithful to you in that way. That is just such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Amen. It it is. And the thing I really appreciated too, uh, Rosaria, was when you shared that it was Psalm 23 Mm -hmm. that made you stop. And you were thinking they were the enemies. And then all of a sudden it transferred to you being the enemy, enemy and how God, how you can have that enemy foe relationship taken away through the gospel, Mm -hmm. that you are no longer God's enemy that you can become his friend. So thank you for that. And thank you for your willingness to share these 
intimate details about what goes on in your home. <laughs> Delaney and I both read your book, and it was, if, ladies, if you have not read her book, The Gospel Comes with the House Key, you not only learn about hospitality, you, this woman is a very bright woman, you're going to learn a lot, a lot of things about life from that book. Yeah. So I highly you're recommend it. you're such an it. amazing storyteller. Like I was reading this and I'm like, I feel like I'm in your kitchen right now. <laughs> like it was so amazing. And then she just like, w- like weaves truth in there and you're yes. like, this is amazing. So It is, it is. Yeah. But this is a question and answer yeah. time, Rosario. So we've prepared a few questions for you. And the first one is, we're women. We have a lot of fears about having people into our home. When we're having people into our home, that's the only time I really notice how dirty it really is. <laughs> Why is it the fingerprints show up just hours before companies coming and you never notice them before? So that's one fear. Another fear is, is this going to turn out? I'm one of those stupid hostesses that likes to try new recipes uh, in, for company. So I've had some disasters and my aunt always said, give it a French name. Um, <laughs> but Rosario, help me. How do you keep the focus on the guests and not on your home and not on the food? Help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it helps the you know, minister in a, like a crazy crisis. But if you can't manufacture that, then you just have to be at peace with the, with the fingerprints. Okay, so we won't wait for the crisis. No. Give us some more advice. <laughs> okay. Um, most people in this world have no idea what actually goes on inside of a Christian home. And so what you need to do is stop looking at your house from your point of view and your standpoint And think about what it would be like to be in a marriage where you're bickering all the time or you're on the edge of divorce or you disagree about how to parent your children or you have deep secrets that you can't even imagine ever talking about and you don't know how to extend forgiveness and you don't know how to receive forgiveness and you have a compulsive addiction that nobody knows about. But once your husband finds out, it's all over. I mean, these are pressure that people live with don't know the Lord are extraordinary. And so to actually just welcome people in and get to know them and put the word of God in front of them and pray for them and then do it again tomorrow is enormous. And really Satan wants to keep you from thinking, you know, my house isn't clean enough, I'm not wealthy enough, um, my kids aren't polite enough, whatever. Um, but that's just not the case. Having said that, I do have some tricks for making it easier. One is to actually start this in the summer when you can have people to your front yard because it's just easier. It's easier on them and it's easier on you. The other always to think about hospitality as a mission church, not the mission of the Butterfields or the Smiths or the Jones, and therefore to have other church members there with you to, to actually present a communal gathering. Um, so those are my questions. Oh, I have one more suggestion. 
And that is, Kent and I have used the, um, the social media app Nextdoor almost as a personal hospitality organizer. And we have found that it's actually easier to invite all of the neighbors to something that's outside. And a couple of things are going to happen if you do that. Uh, first of all, every single person is going to feel loved. And they will tell you that they will come up to you while you're walking the dog and say, you know, five years ago when you invited me to the Labor Day, you know, picnic, uh, nobody has invited me to anything after my divorce. And I just felt so good about that. I couldn't go, but I felt good about it. Um, the other thing is um, the people who are struggling with their addiction to abuse, if it's a regular thing, if you say something like every Thursday night, you know, for the month of August, do this. Or every Friday, we always do these Friday night um, fire pit fries, what we call them in the fall. So, you know, just everybody, just, just come. Don't even bother RSVPing. Just come. And one of the things we found is that for people who do struggle with addiction abuse, by making it a thing, one of those Fridays, they're going to be sober or safe, and they're going to show up. But it might be really hard for them to make a strong commitment to that. And then the third thing that's really awesome about this, this is my husband's favorite part, if you just do a wide-open invitation on next door, about 10% people will come. So you could just, and have just the hot dogs. So those are my, those, those are my uh, tips. Yeah. There's a lot of practical wisdom in that. Hey, if I invite 300 people, then, you know, a few are bound to come. I love that. But um, I also love how you touched on fear. I feel like fear is something that we can always use as an excuse, but we know that our God has not given us a spirit of fear, and so we cannot allow that to hold us back. Are you, Rosaria, one of those people who, do you maybe prepare like conversation starters before people come, or are you more like on the fly, what happens, happens? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not, and, and I'm not a big fan of small talk. In fact, I, I sort of hate small talk. So, <laughs> I I, yeah, so I really just sort of wait for something big to happen. And, and you know, one of the kind of great things about having a crisis of the kind we had in the neighborhood is people are just used to us answering hard questions with compassion and leaving room for people to think differently than we do. So it's not unusual for people to really, even, even for people to be waiting for me to walk out the door with my dogs in the morning to walk them and say, you know, sorry, I have this question for you and, you know, I don't know, what do you think about it? And, and often those are the kinds of things that I'll say, well, why don't you just all come over to dinner for tonight and we can finish it up. We can finish this conversation. So I, I should say, what happened a few weeks ago is um, a, my, some of my neighbors, gay male couple, uh, wanted to stop me and say, you know, what's wrong with Christians? Why are so many Christians not wanting to get the vaccine? Um, and I said, well, guys, you know that I was in the gay I was in the, the gay community in New York, probably at the same time that you guys were. And I remember during the uh, the AIDS crisis, 
was called grid, you know, back in our day, uh, there were a lot of uh, gay men who didn't really oppose the whole idea of using condoms. Do you remember that, guys? Hmm. You know, so while we have different reasons for these things, people have a desire for freedom. So Christians understand their freedom as something that comes from Scripture. And back in the day, I said, and maybe you guys still would say, that freedom comes from doing what feels good. But either way, I think you know the answer to the question. And you can imagine what kind of a follow-up dinner conversation that was like. Yeah. I think I can kind of imagine. (laughs) You know, it seems like today there's... There's so many landmines. You don't want to bring up this topic or that topic or even bring up Christian things. You just want to have them in your home and kind of start to soften them up. Um, is that wrong thinking? Are you asking me? I'm talking to you, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, it's probably not wrong thinking. It's just not my style. Hmm. But I, I, I think this is one of the really cool things about hospitality is that God's going to use you and your personality and your gifts and your interests and even your, you know, squeamishness or whatever uh, for his glory. So I would say if that works for you, then then that's great. And I I think what's important is just to have a sense of timing about the night. So that the whole conversation, the whole evening, isn't just sort of small talk. Okay. Um, and so, what I mean by that is, Christians are okay. Unbelievers are not going to catch the gospel by osmosis. Yeah. So, what we have found is that at a certain point in the evening, all the conversation has to stop, whether it's pleasant or whether it's political or whatever. Um, it has to stop. It has to stop. Because the Bible are going to be passed down the table, and Kent's going to open up the Word, and we're going to read a passage, and we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to go have coffee, and then go home, and then start it again tomorrow. So, so at some point, everybody has to have an awkward moment where you say, okay, everybody, this thing, this book in front of you, it's a Bible, and... Um, we're now going to read it and pray. And what I've at least discovered is my unbelieving have two really important that, by the way, every child wants to know also, but is too polite to ask. Um, one is um, how long will this take? And the other is we're going to pray. Does that mean I have to pray? <laughs> so we can answer those questions, right? We can say, it's going to take about 15 minutes, and you may pray, but you don't have to pray. We can pray for you, or at least for now. <laughs> so you bring them into your world, your Christian world, Rosario. When they're in your home, you have the feel the freedom to do that. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I, and, and I, I think that's just what it means to be a grown-up. And... It's helpful, again, to have other Christians there because it's very helpful for my unbelieving neighbors to to see the Christians don't agree on everything. 
that we love each other, but we don't actually see eye to eye on everything. I love your authenticity too. Like you're not gonna trade truth based on who you are around. And I just love too that like who we are really should be reflecting who created us. And so you touched a little bit about um, what authenticity looks like for you in your home, but how would you encourage um, the sisters that are listening today? Like how can we be authentic as we are, as God has created us to be and um, showcase who he is? How does that work with hospitality? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, authenticity is a a word that is under a lot of revision today, right? (laughs) Because what makes any of us authentic is being made in the image of God and reflecting that image in a way that shows the righteousness and the holiness and the integrity of the Lord Jesus Christ as we read through the revealed scripture. So we live in a world that, that really believes that uh, a kind of pagan spirituality is kinder than biblical Christianity. So, so that's, you know, we have to, we can't play the same authenticity game, if that makes any sense. I'm, I shouldn't, I don't mean it that it's a game, but for the watching world, for the unbelieving world, authenticity means doing what feels right. And it, and however you feel, your feelings determine your identity. So how you feel is who you are. And that's not what the Christian would say. You are um, what, who God made you to be. You are an image bearer of holy God. You are a male or female image bearer of holy God. And you... Um, as you're growing in holiness, the only way to grow to be like Jesus is to repent of your sin. So you can't quite, you know, jolly yourself out of the fact that things are really kind of miserable sometimes, right? We, we are um, not only image bearers, but we're sinful image bearers. Of, and we need a redeemer. And the world needs a redeemer. And we can't, you know... We just can't jolly ourselves out. So, so that's what I said. Part of it, you kind of helps to know going in, but it's going to be really awkward. I, I guess that's the thing. Christian hospitality means embracing the awkward. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's going to be awkward. Get out of that so comfort just, zone. Yeah, just put that out there. Rosaria, have you ever had a disaster of an evening? <laughs> Where you just kind of shake your head when it's over? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. And we and Kent and I will look at each other and say, "Why? Why are we doing this?" (laughs) Good. I'm glad to hear this. Really. Who thought this was a good idea? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Absolutely. All right. Okay. We were looking for a really funny story, but that's okay. You know, <laughs> that's good to know that you experienced this too. That's really great. Um, it sounds like too, before you were a believer, you um, kind of had a tendency toward hospitality anyway. How has God really like fine-tuned that in you? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, 
I would make a distinction today between the liberal communitarianism of my gay and lesbian world and the Christian hospitality of today. Because the, the, the having people in our home regularly had a lot to do with political activism. It had a lot to do with the fact that we really understood the, uh, the purpose of our life, the ultimate goal of our happiness and everything else as something that could be achieved politically here on this earth. And that is not what Christians believe. So, uh, so, so that would be the difference. But I don't, want to under, I don't want to undermine or minimize just the reality that as a pastor's wife, I honed my hospitality gifts in my lesbian community. Mm-hmm. At dealing with people going through crises that I couldn't solve. Some of that is today, and some of it isn't. Um, we are constantly faced as Christians with problems. The Lord can in his time, but it's still very hard and very humble. Yeah. yeah me. When I think of your testimony, Rosario, I, I, would you mind sharing a little bit about that as well, a few questions about that? No, not at all. Okay. I was just wondering if, um, has your story out of the gay lifestyle given others courage to leave as well? It's funny. I actually don't know. I mean, people do write to me and tell me that this passage of the book was helpful or that passage was helpful. But I, I mean, nobody from the community that I was a part of. And in fact, when I came to Christ, I ended up betraying all the people I loved. Wow. Uh, can you imagine how it would have been to be one of my graduate students and no longer directing dissertations in theory? Uh, I mean, like I could give you like story after story after story of people who felt betrayed by me because they were hmm. and I was a Christian yeah. and that is still one of the hardest things for me mm-hmm. yeah. and so I think you know whenever you are a, an adult and you come to Christ and you had people in your life who were invested in not being a Christian <laughs> Um, it's it, it's devastating, and you and in some ways you don't want you want Christ for everybody, but you don't want the bloodbath. Um, the difference, though, in being the gay community and the and the way that the homosexual issue pushes it pushes puts pressure on the church in a different way is that the sin of homosexuality has a civil rights category behind it. And that's not true for some of the other sins, and even the other besetting sins that you're going to be doing. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 60 years old, homeschool mom, and a lot of time we talking to other homeschool moms who, you know, some of them are dealing with besetting sin of anger, 
well, that is a sin. He's setting sin. God hates it. Repent of it and shame. But you don't have any group behind you saying, you know, you be you, or it's just who you really are. You're going to commit suicide if you can't be up. But that is that's a hard narrative that just you know have to deal with, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. For a sharing. high cost. A high cost. Yeah. Speaking of the cost, um, can you just speak a little bit about? some of the sacrifices that you and your family have made to practice this radically ordinary hospitality? Yeah, I mean, I could, there's, there's something that actually happened after the book was written that might, that might speak to that. And I think it also speaks to the fact that in Christ, every sacrifice is actually mm-hmm. a very, very good thing. Uh, but um, I guess about six months after the book, was out, a woman walked into our church with a little boy, and it was really clear that they had been living in the car. And a friend of mine at the church came up and looked at me and said, Saria, these people are living in their car, and let me just remind you, the gospel comes with a house key, and so they're moving into one of our houses tonight. And I said... Uh, okay, maybe we should talk to our husbands. <laughs> so we we get the husbands involved, and um, we call a friend. I called a friend of mine who was the coordinator of Safe Family for Children, and I said, "Look, uh, here's what's going on. What do we do?" And and she said, "I'm sorry, you've been working with Safe Family for years. Just you know, just do this." Just do this, okay? Um, so by the end of that evening, we discovered that there was also a husband who was sleeping in a hallway where he was. And it was decided there were some marital trouble that the boy and the mom would stay at our friend's and my husband would go and find the husband and bring him home. And I thought, what in God's green are we doing? This is how crazy people live. Okay, this is how crazy people We don't do this. What are we doing? Um, so we, we did work with Safe Family for Children. We were able to do things like background checks and jelly basic things. And um, so so my husband did. He found he found this man, brought him home, and gave him pajamas. And I wa- washed his clothes. And I insisted that my children all sleep in the same bed with me that night, right? You know, I'm just like, what are we doing? This is how crazy people live. Uh, That's hilarious. And, and then the, the next, you know, it took a while because this is a full-on crisis. Two households in the church, three people, full-on crisis. So by the time we all kind of get, you know, we find clothes, rights to work, we're, we're just, you know, childcare. Um, we're, we're sitting down for the first time actually making a meal together. 
And this is now we have three families. We have a family who is displaced by homelessness, and you've got another family church, and you've got our we're all in the kitchen and we're making meals together. And all of a sudden, we learn that this is Christian. And I was so And there's been so many times when Hebrews 13 has been, you know, a touchstone. But but very much that would you, night. Would you read us third, Hebrews 13? Sure. Uh, let, let brotherly love Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those as though in prison and those who are since you also are in the body. And so the family came into our our homes on maybe, you know, a, that Sunday night, that Lord's Day. Um, and the next Lord's Day, they were at the table with us. Hmm. And that was pretty And they became a dear, they became government. And they became dear in our community. And uh, our, our church uh, treasurer helped them with their finances, only to discover that they didn't realize how much money the federal government owed them, which got them out of all of the debt problems which had spun out with the car trouble. And, and it, was, it, was, it was overwhelming. Um, and you know, just think about what it would be like um, to be a family and to live in a car, but keep your job and get your child to live okay. How would you do that? How, so... They became sort of heroes in my life. Um, it was it was a very powerful experience. And one of the things we learned about that too. So so from a Christian perspective, mercy ministry is meant to solve a problem in a big way. In other words, not just like put a band-aid on it, but actually sure that people can get on with it. Yeah. And that took about four months, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, that, that, was, that was it. You know, I and really admire, you're, you're not afraid of the mess that people are. Oh, it was, it was hilarious. Oh, you it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it just, yeah. The, 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 the standard of messiness in the Butterfields is, I'm, I'm glad the health department isn't here to shut us down, but... Yeah, no. It, it makes us feel a little better. Yeah. Well, we are coming to the close of our time, Rosario, and I would just love to give you the opportunity to give all of us some encouragement to take a step of faith towards the kind of hospitality you recommend. Okay, but before you take a step of faith, I suggest that you and your husband, if you have a husband, are on the same page. And if you're not on the same page, then don't take a second page. Um, not yet. And 
I would also like to suggest that you always think of hospitality as a mission of the church. So you are not alone. You don't ever have to be alone. Uh, and if it makes you nervous to be alone, then don't be alone. Uh, make sure that you have other families in the church with you. And then finally, I would like to suggest that some of the best people who not only do hospitality, but are helpers in hospitality, are our single Christians who, in our family, are our my children's aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters. So to be clear that part of what hospitality does is it, is it allows people to see the family of God living like the family of God and saying, hey, look, there's room for more family. Okay? <laughs> you know, if we run out of chairs, you sit on the floor. That's why God gave you a behind. It's okay. You know, pull on the <laughs> piano bench or the exercise ball or whatever. So don't be alone. Um, the other thing is don't do this in flesh. Hmm. Right? This is Christian hospitality is done in the spirit. That would be that capital S spirit the Holy Spirit. So don't do it in the flesh. And don't be afraid if people, if, you know, if, if in your home, or in your front yard, we're having hard conversations and people take um, offense, as long as you've been intentionally offensive, um, as long as you, you've been you know, judicious with what you believe and, and those kinds of things, uh, people come up, right? And the wonderful thing about neighborhood evangelism is that there's there's a powerful blessing to being a neighbor. Yeah. I mean, neighboring is awesome. Yeah. Thank so, you for sharing that. Would be. Thank you so much. I mean, your transparency, your vulnerability, um, just how you guys live your life is just so inspiring to us. Um, and we could just, we're, we just couldn't be more thankful that you would come and encourage us in this way and come alongside us in this way. So thank you, Rosaria, for sharing. Um, I did wanna let all of our sisters know that Rosaria's message and um, the Q&A is going to be on our podcast. Um, you can find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms and on the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. And we are gonna be posting some behind the scenes of, a, of this event on our Instagram at She's Becoming Podcast, so go and check that out. Um, but Rosaria, we just love you. You are just such a sweet sister in Christ and we would just love it if you'd be okay with Bev praying over us tonight. That would be wonderful. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time with Rosaria. Thank you, Father, for her inspiration of her just being her and of her and Kent opening their home like this and then to share this information with us in her book. I just, Lord, I'm so touched by it and I'm so convicted by it. Forgive us, Lord, where we've been hiding behind our front doors hiding from other people, hiding from sharing the gospel, where we've been just making excuse after excuse, Lord. 
Would you help us to throw open wide our front doors and forget about the smudges on the windows and help us, Lord, to look at the people and to really love them and to be interested in their story. I pray, Father, that you would give each of us a tangible to-do list when we leave here tonight something tangible that we could do in response to your word that says to show hospitality, to entertain, to bring people in, to welcome people in who are maybe very different from us or who are hurting, Lord, and need a friend. Help us not to run away from this and to hide behind our privacy, but, Lord, to have an open heart so that we can have an open door. So, Father, just take all that's been said here tonight and what will be said later on as well, and will you use it for your kingdom? We don't want to just entertain so that we look like a marvelous hostess. This is different. We really want Christian hospitality, where we are bringing people into what the life of a Christian is like, and we're modeling that for them and showing them genuine care and concern and a welcoming spirit. Help us, Lord. We are weak and we're people of bad habits. Show us, Lord, how we can break them and break into this new kind of ministry in a powerful way and may many receive the Lord because of this kind of hospitality through us. And it's in Christ's name we've prayed. Amen. Amen. Amen.